1: Uh, it's my first show I'm recording ever since leaving for Europe and the UK early October. Fun to be back. And Phoenix, Arizona is still beautiful and sunny. And what I love about Arizona is we have two seasons. We have five months of our winter, which is really hot summer, 110-degree stuff. And then after that, we got seven months of spring. Beautiful, clear sunshine. And, oh, I just love it here so we uh, we welcome k k v v they are in, in Las Vegas. They are now airing the show there, and on Mondays at three thirty and they also are airing it on Saturdays. the uh station director there told me that she thought this show would be perfect for what she called sin City," and you know we deal direct directly and with issues with sex and pornography and other hard topics. So this fits right in. So those of you in Las Vegas listening, welcome. And I want to jump right in. So here, a couple articles and a survey or two that came out. This just came out in September. And it was a Barna and Cultural Research Center survey and Cultural Research Center is at Arizona Christian University in Glendale, Arizona. And they said that 176 million Americans claim to be Christians, which is 69% of the population. Six percent of all US adults adults, which is nine percent of those who claim to be a Christian, possess a world biblical worldview, they found which means that you believe the Bible to be accurate and reliable, among other convictions, and 6% of the population, 9% of those who are believers. So this should really cause us to to pause and to think, what is going on here when 10% of Christians who are in church every week Don't believe the Bible is relevant, powerful, true. Something is really off. And uh, the next two pieces I want to get into illustrate that even more. When just the end of October, the Christian Post posted another survey that said that 70% of born-again Christians now say that religions other than Christianity can lead to heaven. This is, this is just dangerous because what you're basically saying is there's no truth, that um, there is no more absolute truth. It's God and Jesus and Buddha and whoever else you want to throw into that pie. And that is becoming very dangerous and <clears throat> not becoming, it already is because we see a consistent flow of people who are leaving the church these days. And if... You've listened to the show, you've heard where I had Greg Reed on, who's been in youth ministry for 20 years, and he said that he sees 80% of Christian youth walking away from the church. And I had Rebecca and Sean on, 27-year-old, 19-year-old, about a month ago, and they said well, they see a lot of their friends walking away, so um, this is... What we're seeing is the consequences of we're missing the boat when it comes to salvation. We're not getting it right. And this next article, which just blew me away, this story, I couldn't even believe it when I read it. So this guy was a worship leader at at an Oregon megachurch for 16 years. And then uh, after serving 16 (coughs) years— As a worship leader, Damien Norvell said he got saved. And then what he said was that up to that time, working at that church was driving him to exhaustion. He was working 16 hours a day and then he ended up getting divorced. and, And to cope with this depression and divorce, he turned to alcohol and marijuana and then in 2012, after 16, serving 16 years as a worship leader, he says he found Jesus after serving in the church that long. And <clears throat> but the problem is that rather than celebrating Norval's conversion, the senior pastor of that church covered it up. And Norville said that the bottom line was that my testimony was dangerous. That it made people question their salvation and that I was not allowed to share my testimony with that church. So he got fired after that happened. And he, the article in the story goes on more how there was a lot of spiritual abuse and control at that church. And this is a this is a large church of seven thousand people. It was founded in the eighties by a guy who was a formal former Calvary Chapel pastor which Calvary Chapel is well-known for solid Bible teaching, verse by verse. And that, that's where this guy came from who planted that church, and then it grew and blossomed and blew up. and and um, But now the senior pastor just got um, accused of sexual harassment, and this came out. So these things that we're seeing that are going on today— these news these news articles and surveys that are they've almost been a constant flow of people walking away from the church and people saying they don't grab onto the idea the truth that the word of god is absolute truth in all circumstances from cover to cover we're getting salvation wrong obviously because when you have this much of an outflow of people walking away something is seriously wrong and part of it is we're not challenging people with a faith worth dying for. So <clears throat> some of you may remember I've talked about looking for a church. <laughs> Me and my family, we moved here July of 2020. And as we've looked, and I've looked at all these church websites, what I've noticed is that a lot of them talk about come as you are. And that that's great. We need that because that's the gospel. You come as you are. You're stained. You're soaked with your sin and that's the only way you can come is you can't come as a poser or a faker but i don't think i ever saw you come as you are but you cannot stay as you are and you don't hear about verses about the road is narrow and few are those who find the way to life or work out your salvation with fear and trembling or the risks that we see about drifting and And the other warnings in Scripture about not playing with sin, and then you look at the things that we talk about quite often in this show with sexual sin and a lot of God's people being addicted to pornography and all that gets missed, what we're doing is just skimming the top. We're not challenging people to go all out in their relationship with the Lord. And we have to begin there. So we're not just going to church to have a nice, peaceful, comforting message Follow, you know preceded by a rock show and with a lot of churches that we visited that's exactly what it was it was it was a rock and roll band <clears throat> playing in a volume that was shaking the walls and like hid you not there were times when we would visit a church there was one church where uh, they were handing out earplugs as you walk in the door there was another church it was so loud my teenage daughters were saying their ears hurt and you can't tell me that's worship because how do we worship from spirit and truth? When the loud music is that loud, what you're basically doing is stimulating your flesh. And when the music, even more so, has more to do with me, God, me, 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 you, me, 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 you, it's, there's too much self-involved and you're stimulating the flesh. We're missing it. And we've drifted away from the core of what church is supposed to be, which is a church devoted to, Prayer, fellowship, and God's Word. Just those three things. So what I want to do now, so I don't like to just share problems. Any any fool can do that. You don't need me or anyone else here to do that. <clears throat> but I always like to get into, okay, now we're in a mess and there should be a sense of urgency. Now, now what are we going to do? And... We, when I say we, I mean Rebecca and myself. Rebecca is my 19-year-old daughter. We went to the UK and we went to Europe for the month of October. We left October 3rd, came back November 1st. Um, I spoke at one church in the UK, small church, maybe, I don't know, 25 people showed up. The senior pastor told me that COVID and all the restrictions from the government in North Wales had really taken a big chunk. He said that there were around 130 people attending and then it had been willowed down because you have to sign up to go to church. And everybody sits six feet apart and wear masks. So it was very strict in that part of the UK. While in the South, it was almost like in many states in the U.S. where you could pretty much come as you want without a mask. <clears throat> but what really struck me about that church was that the lady who had led worship was around 60 years old um, and she wore prayer in and talking about spiritual warfare in between leading the songs and I watched her before <clears throat> she uh, started the service and she had her head down in prayer a lot I mean, there was a lot of reverence and reflection and I just loved it and talking about real life and the battles they're fighting and and then I had everybody ask if everybody could pray the last 15 minutes of the service and man, they just jumped right into it. It's not like when I lead prayer meetings in the U.S. more often than not, uh, the adults are kind of fidgeting and there's a long period of silence where people were waiting for the first person to break the ice. I mean, they just jumped right in with aggressive, fervent prayer. One guy was crying and so this is this is something we lost in the US and and then the middle October twenty second through the twenty fourth, I led a men's retreat, a three day men's retreat in Italy, Isola del Gran Sasso. I did that without botching it up beautiful setting in the mountains in the middle of Italy, Friday night through Sunday morning. And so I'm going to go through some of what we looked at because this is a part of the answer to where the mess we found ourselves in today. And so Friday night, I began with talking about rest of soul. And I see a lot of people who come to us for help at Blazing Grace, help with porn addiction, adultery, whatever they're going through. And most Christians don't have, don't understand what rest of soul is. I'm not talking about taking a nap. They're too isolated, choked, or they're busy. And so rest of soul has to do with coming to a place with the Lord where you're complete peace with Him. You've let everything go and you're resting and abiding in His love. <clears throat> that happens only in times when we spend extended time alone with him. I'm talking about an hour minimum, but really the way we have to live our life is like Jesus did, where he would go away for an entire night and just to spend time alone with the Father in prayer. And so we talked about rest of soul. And then then I had everybody spend time in prayer. And the Italians, just like the British did, they jumped right into prayer. I was just like, "Wow, this is, this is just—I love this." They, there was no hesitation. And I, back in March, I gave a message. The weekend church matches at a church in California, and I asked the pastor, "Can we have everybody spend time praying at the after my message, fifteen minutes?" And he said, "Sure," because you know. House of Prayer—that's what the church is supposed to be, right? <clears throat> we don't just want to talk it; we want to do it. And so we agreed. And then we spent—we were going to spend 15 minutes in prayer, and I was focused on prayer. I wasn't watching. And the pastor told me later that what he saw and his people were—the first five minutes maybe was in prayer. Then after that, everybody was just chatting. And so our performance-driven churches are not teaching people how to pray. And my Italian brothers, they were just jumping into it for a while, and I just loved it. And then Saturday morning, I broke them all up, had them into groups of small groups of two, had them share their stories with each other, take about 20 minutes each. And then I had them pray for each other. This is James 5.16 in action, confess your sins. To one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Not talk about it, not teach about it, but do it. You know, James 1, we're told, be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And I take you back again to Acts 2.42. They were devoted to fellowship, teaching, and the word. Being devoted to fellowship means we don't just sit there and talk about it, listen to a sermon about it Sunday morning. We actually make it happen so that nobody walks out isolated, alone, in bondage to sin, that everybody shares, that everybody gets prayed for. And So that's what we did the first morning of that retreat. This is not something that should be a retreat thing. This is something that we should do in our church services, and I've done this in churches where I've spoken. And then uh, we talked about breaking the power of lies. A lie is an agreement. With Satan, because when you're buying into a lie, you're basically saying Satan is right and God is wrong. So we, I walk them through how lies are, can can drive the life. It is the beliefs in the heart that drive the life far more than the knowledge. Because what happens is the knowledge, if it doesn't get to the heart, then there is there will be no change, and then you can still be in bondage of sin, no matter how much doctrine and theology. You know, and we talk to pastors and people all the time who know the verses, but their belief system is still skewed because there are lies they bought into. So I walked them through breaking those strongholds and praying through them, and then I broke the guys up again. Small groups of two, had them share with each other the lies, and then had them pray for each other. That, And then prayer again is such a key to the healing part. And then... Right before lunch, I talked about seeking God's face. So Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That means going after God hard as a way of life. Not just a one-time thing, not a retreat thing, not a conference thing. Hard all of your life. And then how did Jesus live his life? Matthew fourteen twenty three, And after he had d- dismissed the crowds... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. And then another Mark one thirty-five, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And then Mark 6.46, after he had taken leave of him, he went up on the mountain to pray, all-night prayer meetings. Jesus alone with the Father. This is what our lives should look like. This is what our churches should look like. Especially these days when everything is collapsing, all-night prayer meetings—we need those right now. And so we talked about prayer, and seeking God, and waiting God, waiting for Him alone in silence. Psalm sixty-two, one to two: For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. <clears throat> My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. So let me ask all of you, when is the last time you spent an hour alone in silence with the Lord? I have a questionnaire I send out to men and women who come to us for counseling, and that question is in there. When's the last time you had an hour alone with the Lord? For the men, usually 90% of them, it's never or it's been a long time. Usually for the women... It's around 50 to 60% have had that recently or on a consistent basis. So this shows you there's a big hole, there's a big gap in people's relationship with the Lord as far as seeking Him, resting with Him, the prayer life. Each and every one of you who are a believer in Christ should be spending an hour a day in prayer. I don't care who you are. That can be 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes a night. But we, we have to up our prayer game these days. Prayer is the barometer of the believer's life. There is no power without, no spiritual power without no prayer, and that's why our churches are so weak and we're losing so many people right now because we are not houses of prayer. So we talked about that, and then I gave them the the entire afternoon after lunch to 6 p.m. alone to go after God and to rest with him, to seek his face and And then we talked about prayer again at eight o'clock at night after dinner, and we had another prayer meeting and And I talked to them about fervent, passionate prayer. I watched these guys, we had a worship leader there, and they would sing with passion. I said, "Okay, you've been singing with passion i let's hear you pray with passion and I loved it. They just jumped right in and and uh <laughs> Sunday morning. <coughs> I told them they ruined me because I'm used to going to American churches where everybody has that numb look on their faces. But I love being with people who are passionate about the Lord and going hard after him and not playing games. And, and uh, it was just a wonderful weekend. And then, and then Sunday morning we talked about the fact that we are a church at war. If you don't think that, then, then you haven't been watching all these news articles like I've been sharing where people are um, <laughs> don't think the Bible is absolute truth or or that we're losing people. Um, we are a church of war. Who do you think is behind all this? Who's, who do you think is behind all the softening of the church? We're not, we have to equip our people to be warriors and fighters. We have to equip our people to be prayer warriors. We have to challenge them to take their their relationship with the Lord to the next level and that's what I did with them Sunday morning. We talked about you must understand that you're at war as a believer and as a church and the Christian life isn't just about being a really nice guy or a really nice woman and going to church once a week. You've missed the whole point if that's what you think. And and then we I gave them in examples and about the authority of Christ and taking up their authority in Christ and who they are as believers in Jesus Christ. And then the next section or the next um, part of the morning was about living a life that counts for eternity and not wasting your life and how to do that. So I talked about what I call the Rogues' Creed. And there are seven parts to the Rogues' Creed and... Uh, briefly go all out in your relationship with God. You must be a prayer warrior. You must be a doer of the Word, not just someone who sits there and takes in knowledge, but actually puts it in practice and lives God's Word. You must meet with another believer once a week, every single week. So again, each and every one of you are Christians, you should be meeting with another believer once a week, every week for the purpose of prayer, accountability, and support. And most Christians are not doing this. I've seen surveys that show that anywhere between 80 to 90% of American Christians are not doing this, and they are isolated, and that is one big reason why the church is so weak. And then the, the, the fifth part of the Rogues Creed is we must face our sins and boast of our weaknesses. Um, Paul talked about, I will boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ will dwell within me. And then number six, rogue churches are devoted to, Acts 2.42 again, fellowship, prayer, God's word. And then seven, we choose to make our lives count for eternity. We will never retire. There are no biblical examples of people who retire, but there is that one parable about the guy who said, I'm going to build bigger barns, and then God said to you, and enjoy the rest of my life. I left that out. And God said to you, fool, who's who's going to basically en- enjoy the things you built up now? So, and then we had another prayer meeting. <laughs> so that was five prayer meetings over the weekend. And <clears throat> at the end, the feedback that I got from the guy who put it on was that every single guy came to him and they said they had encountered God that weekend. One guy came up to me and said, he didn't want to go home because he was so felt so close to the Lord and he didn't want to lose that. That's the way it should be with church every single weekend. And we've lost it. So I want to challenge you to up your game. We must become churches that are houses of prayer and devoted to fellowship by our actions, not just teaching it. So thank you for joining me, and we'll talk to you next time.